Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, I've got a very special guest. He's an NCAA champion. He's a professional clinician. And most recently, he's the swimmer of two personal bests at age 30 in the 50 and 100 meter freestyle at the Pro Swim Series in Richmond. We've got Austin Serhoff. Hey, Coleman. How's it going, man? I'm happy to talk to you. We've I've I've known you for a little bit now and it's been great seeing you kind of all over the country at different swimming functions and you know we we ate some good tacos last time I was in Charlottesville. I, I still... was hoping you'd remember that um cuz it, it was a nice spin on practice and pancakes that you got to have a couple breakfast tacos too. It was. Yeah, that was that was definitely a highlight of uh, going to the University of Virginia. I, I think about that place often. Mm-hmm. What's what's yeah. the taco place called? Oh, man, you know, uh, Brazos Tacos. That's right. It's Brazos. which is like it's named after like that's a kind of an Austin theme name. And they were trying to do like a Austin Tex-Mex thing. I thought they did a pretty great job of it. <laughs> they did. Brazos tacos, man. Yeah, that place sticks with me. Anyway, enough about food. Uh, we're talking to you today because <laughs> you dropped PBs. You dropped a 22.5 50 meter freestyle, 49.7 meter freestyle mm-hmm. uh, at the Richmond Pro Swim Series uh, just this past weekend. You're 30 years old. I, no one even knew you were you were training. You were swimming. Um, so I mean take, take me, take me there. What, what was going on at this meet for you? You know, I didn't actually carry a ton of expectations into this meet because I had already had a pretty successful meet in November. Um, so at that U S open meet where there was seven different sites going on, I got my Olympic trials cut and a best time in the hundred freestyle, uh, where I was 50.1. And I had been training all summer and through the fall to do that and tapered myself down. And so going into this meet, I kind of just maintained coming out of us open. The holidays are always tough to stay on schedule, especially when you're like me and you don't have a pro training group and a set structure where you have to go to practice. So in a way I was actually just kind of testing out maybe how deep into taper I could go. And I was thinking to myself, I actually told my wife before I left, I was like, I, I have no idea what's going to go on here. I'm going to stick to my process. I'm proud of everything I do outside of the pool from the time the meet starts to the time the meet ends. But as far as times go, I, I didn't know what I had set myself up for yet. And I was not going to tether myself to the results just, just because of the experimentation that I had been doing in in that regard. But as far as the meat goes, I was, I was so happy with the results. Um, I had been doing really well with the hundred. Like I said, I got my trial cut in November, but I hadn't been a best time since 2019 in the 50 when I was 22, eight. So to go 22, five, that felt like a big leap and, um, kind of a little, a confidence boost that the training I'm doing is the right training for me right now. Yeah. So before, before we get into some backstory, you said you were really proud of doing, 
what you were doing at the meet outside mm-hmm. of the pool. You know, take me through that weekend just in terms of how you're preparing, how you weren't, you know, necessarily tethered to the results, but sticking to your process. Sure. And it goes back to a lot that I had going on. Uh, especially when I got into college and I got to a certain standing where I was like a really good swimmer and there was expectations behind my swims. And then when I went deeper into professional swimming is I didn't really have a routine for warm up or warm down or what I was doing the morning of, or what I was eating. And I would kind of just fly by the seat of my pants <laughs> and, um, it kind of led to sometimes I'd hit the bullseye in the dartboard. I'd say a lot of times I hit the bullseye in the dartboard. I tended to swim fast at big meets, but other times if it was a smaller meet and I didn't have that artificial, you know, boost of adrenaline from the stakes, it was a hit or miss whether I was going to go fast. And so I've put a lot of work over the last couple of years and especially over the last six months uh, with a few things that I've been studying into having a structure to my routine, basically from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, from the time I arrive at the meeting, whether it's a day before, two days before, you know, at the Olympic trials, I might arrive three or four days before the meet starts. And just knowing what I'm doing every single hour of the day and using that structure to put myself where I'm peaking as far as my adrenaline, as far as my energy goes for prelims and then having even more for finals. Um, and I, I tested it out for the first time at us open good results. Uh, like I said, I went my first PB in the hundred and then at this meet, I really locked in that routine. Um, and it wasn't new. It was, it felt like an actual routine at this point. Cause I've been training it in my pace day workouts that I do, um, a couple times a month. And I had tried it out at the U S open successfully, like I said. So this was the first weekend where I really got to execute it in a trials and finals format and with real stakes on the line. Cause, um, U S open was time trials. There was no finals. There was nothing on the line outside of your own, like your time and your first swim. So, um, I guess I, should I just take us through what I do? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> okay. So the main thing that all of this is centered around is I do very intense breathing exercises and it's kind of becoming my lane on social media. I post on it about it a lot, um, on my Instagram page. Um, but there's this person named Wim Hof that a lot of people may have heard of, and he's actually someone that I've been familiar with since I was 10 years old. I remember opening up the 2000, the year 2000 Guinness Book of World Records, and he has a full, a full page splash feature about all these records he had even back in the day. And, you know, where we are today, people can become brands so easily because of Instagram. So now I finally reaccessed basically everything that made him great through these programs that he makes available on an app. And the main thing that um, people like myself can access from his teaching is a breathing technique. And the idea of the breathing technique is it flushes your body with oxygen. If you do it deep enough, you start to feel surges of adrenaline. And, um, it's something that I do daily to start my day. When I wake up, if I have some extra time, I might do it in the afternoon and before bed. And it's also something that I work into my pre-race routine. So let's use the day that the day of the hundred free, for example, first time I got under 50, 
when I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do is, um, put my cold brew coffee in the microwave. I like it hot, but I also like cold brew. So it's the best, best of both worlds. And then when the coffee's ready, I start doing about four to six rounds, just depending on what I'm feeling and if I'm getting bored or not, cause I get bored very easily <laughs> of, uh, of this breathing technique. And that is the first start to my day. Then. So uh, about how long does that take? And that takes, so it's about, let's see. It's about 90 seconds to do the breathing. Cause it's 30 seconds of about three second, uh, inhale, exhale breaths. And then you hold your final breath out for as long as you can. And that just depending on how skilled you are and how much training you've done, that'll take a minute all the way up to three minutes at my best. And so if you put all that together for four to six rounds, it could take about 20 minutes. Um, and then I get my stuff together. I leave, I go to the pool and the beautiful thing about the timeline at this meet was it was perfectly timed for both sunrise and sunset. So we're getting way off of swimming here and into some stuff um, that I've been studying about our circadian rhythms. So the pool was open for us to go in and be tested around seven and sunrise is around seven fifteen. So why that was important is um, some research that I've been doing uh, on another podcast I listened to from a guy named Andrew Huberman. He's a great uh, Stanford professor is he said, it's super important to basically expose yourself to the type of light that occurs at sunrise and at sunset, and it sets your body's circadian rhythm. And it's important for a whole variety of uh, bodily functions. And it's most important for your sleep. And as we know, sleep is super important means. <laughs> and also, um, before you go to sleep, catching the sunrise also puts you on the up in terms of your energy to start the day. So I get to the pool at seven. I do another couple rounds of the breathing exercises where I'm, while I'm basically facing the sunrise, try not to look directly at the sun. Uh, that's not advisable, <laughs> but catch some sunrise, um, get tested, head on inside. And then an hour and a half out of the race, um, I do my warm up. takes about, I think I timed it on my watch. It's an Apple watches are nice. Uh, cause you can time yourself. <laughs> it's waterproof. Anyway, uh, it takes about 20, 25 minutes. I do a couple starts if the pool's still open, just depending on the timing of my race. And then this is the part that might be a little strange to people might be counterintuitive because you're supposed to stay warm after warm up, but I, I actually go back outside to do another six rounds of the breathing. And at that point, the energy from my day has really gotten to a point that when I do the breathing, I can feel these surges of adrenaline coming through me rounds four, five, and six. Um, and I go outside a, because it's really nice to get a break from like the, that, and like the general buzz of the swim meet and like the check your mark. It's really good to get yourself in a private headspace um, before your race and just center yourself. So it serves that purpose. And then second is I just want to take my my mask off and I don't want to be a jerk and be the guy on the deck with his mask off when you're supposed to have it on. So then I come back inside. <laughs> this is a very involved process. I'm loving it. Back in, yeah, yeah. I come back inside. And um, first thing I do is get a hot shower because the trade-off there is I get this alone time. I get this fresh air. I get to take my mask off so I can breathe deeper and get more in. in. And I know a lot of people have been saying that studies show the mask doesn't inhibit breathing. That's just more of a preference for me. 
but the trade-off is I've cooled my body off, which the whole point of warm up is to warm your body back up. <laughs> so I get a hot shower, dry off, put my suit on about 15 minutes out of the race. Nice thing about this pro series meet is there's not really a main, like a clerk of course, where you have to show up at a certain time. They just were kind of lining us up on the side of the pool. Um, so I could literally chill in the warm down pool area and just wait until it was my turn to go up to the blocks. And while that's happening, guess what? I'm doing more, I'm doing more of this breathing. And at this point, my adrenaline, I've been controlling it basically since I've woken up my adrenaline, my oxygen levels where I'm just pushing them higher and higher and higher and higher to the point where when we're finally brought up to the blocks and I can take my mask off, I blow all of my air out as if I'm about to finish another round of the breathing and I can feel this final flush of adrenaline. And then I inhale it all back in and I get this flush of oxygen and it puts me in basically what people talk about, which is the zone or a flow state. Um, and then I step up on the blocks and it's time to go and, um, warm down. Same as always, just a good rule of thumb is swim till you feel good and then swim another 10 minutes. And then, um, there was no ice bath. So I hopped in the, the James river outside of Richmond both days to get a little bit of recovery. I saw that. That's very creative recovery. Uh, I saw you posting about it on your Instagram. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's all that. That's how it works. And then at night it's just little tweaks. And this is actually something I learned from Brett Hawk. And I was lucky enough to interview him for my podcast. And he said, one of the things he talks about is kind of like emotional management. So he told, he tells uh, some of his athletes, I can't remember who he worked with that he told this, but it was basically go full speed in the morning physically, but hold back some of your emotions. So go, let's say like, for example, 80% emotion. And then for finals, really throw your emotion at and get super geared up and invest in the event. And so I was trying that out as well in the morning it was more, you know, my music was more chill. I was less attached to the results of the race and I was just focused on the process. And then at night I let the race be super important to me. I let myself get nervous about, Whoa, this is actually really cool. This is happening. Uh, the music is a little bit more intense. It's a little bit more pushing me over the edge or close to the edge of you might be a little bit too nervous. And so playing around with those little things has been super fun. And regardless of times, it's a big change from how things used to be for me, which is I would go to the meet. I was only thinking about my times. And if I was not feeling good about the meet, then I was nervous the entire time to the point where I'd almost barf behind the blocks. Now, every meet I go to, I, I have something to look forward to regardless of where I'm at in the season. I love this process. It's super fun to me. It's super engaging, super involved. I get to listen to cool tunes and I get to do like really interesting stuff with my body, with these breathing techniques and with the cold plunges that I do. So that's the important thing is getting yourself excited about your process and obviously, you know, invest in the results. It's really important to race and compete and for swimming to be important to you but I had the process thing was missing for me before. And it's been really amazing to actually feel excited about that side of things. Absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of people can relate to what you're saying of being invested in the times, but not having that process, not knowing how to 
invest in that process or buy into that process and make that the focus rather than the times because mm-hmm. swimming swimming is so time centric um, mm-hmm. in so many ways. And so I I want to dive into a bit of the history of you now. Um, I, first off, when did when did you was there a time when you stepped away from the sport, maybe retired or something? And then when did you start getting back into swimming and saying, Hey, this is actually something I want to try again. I stepped away in 2016. I, it was after three years of being a pro, um, after my last Olympic trials at that point, I had gotten eighth in the 200 IM. Uh, I'd put three years into my life into, you know, training for the 2016 Olympic trials and it actually taken a step backwards from 2012 when I got fourth and a couple things were going through my head at the time. Um, number one, it was, well, what was all that for? Number two, um, I had lived away from my wife for a year to go train in Arizona with this awesome training group we had with North Baltimore with coach Bob Bowman and Michael Phelps, Chase Kalish, Allison Schmidt, uh, Sierra Rungi. And I knew I had to get back to her and I, if, if here in Baltimore, which is where we still live to this day. And it didn't really feel like I was almost like allowed to swim anymore. It was like, if I can't be at this level training with the type of group that is, you know, NBA C's pro group or something similar like Mecklenburg or Wolfpack elite or whatever, any of those great pro groups. Um, it felt like I was almost not allowed to swim. And then lastly, a lot of my f- closest friends, I was basically the only one who was still swimming and they were off, you know, traveling the world, getting internships. And I was at swim practice. <laughs> so it really felt like it was time to move on with my life. And it felt weird that I would still be swimming if I hadn't made an Olympic team. Cause that's, you know, that's what you think. And no one put that in my head. It was almost something I projected out there. Like I kind of have to stop because I, didn't succeed in the mission and were at a, a logical stopping point. Right. So I took some time off. Um, I was a marketing, I was a marketing firm associate for about six months. Um, and they were, it was just, it was an internship, but, and great people that worked there. I was lucky enough to get the opportunity, um, with people that I still keep in touch with to this day, but it just didn't stick. Um, and then I got into coaching and that was actually kind of my first steps back. I started doing fitter, faster swim clinics, which I still do to this day. I've done about, I think about 50 or 60 of them at this point. And it's just, every time I do them, it's, it's really nice to go and understand perspective on like what you've accomplished. Cause it's such a, like the bubble that I was in when I was swimming and that bubble gets smaller and smaller as you move through the, through things is I felt like I was on the low end of the spectrum because I was swimming with Olympians every day. Michael Phelps and Chase Killish were kicking my butt every single day in practice and they would crush me at every single meet in my best events. And so I kind of had this weird perspective of, well, I wasn't, I was okay. Then you go to these meets and these 10 year old kids and you realize, wait, their parents would prop. If they said, Hey, hop in a time machine and you could have Austin's career tomorrow. The hundred of those percent of those parents would say, yes, like, yeah, sweet genie, put my kid in the time machine and just give him Austin's career. So that was a nice bit of perspective that like, wow, I actually did pretty well with my career. And then for the coaching, um, I was living in Baltimore and Scott Armstrong, who had coached me at North Baltimore 
in my age group days and in my high school days for about five years on and off. And I had known him even longer than that, uh, through family friends. He was, I asked him if I could, um, just kind of be a volunteer assistant a couple days a week at Hopkins. And I loved it. And it's fast forward to today real quick. That's what I still do to this day. We're going back to work on, uh, Monday, the t- January 25th, the kids have been outside the pool for, um, for about 10 months now. And I'm really excited to get back with them, but back to what we were doing back what we were talking about with my retirement, I hadn't touched the pool at this point since August of 16. And now we're in September of 17. And I really felt like I was supposed to do something else that was equal to what I did in swimming because I felt like I was making up for what I missed in the professional world outside when I was, um, being a pro swimmer. And so I felt like the only route that I could do to get there was coaching. Cause it's like, well, you know, swimming, um, I grew up in a house with athletes. My dad was a professional baseball player. My mom was a better athlete than both me and my dad in swimming, uh, back in the eighties. And it felt like I had just been an apprentice to athletes my whole life. So I was like, okay, what else can I do? coaching. And then, um, I didn't get back. I still did. And I still didn't get back in the pool. So midway through the 17 to 18 season coaching at Hopkins, um, I got a pretty faithful text message from one of my best friends. His name is Brian Collins. He swam with me at Texas. Um, we were both at one point, Texas 400 IM team record holders together. And he's, uh, just one of my good friends to this day. And he texted me out of the blue in January and he was like, Hey, uh, there's a master's meet in April. A few of us want to get together and try to take on a couple American records. You want to come down with us? Uh, and at the time I was like, I don't know if I'm like in the swimming, like uh, it's not really, I don't know, but what was important about it. And I think a lot of people can maybe relate to this is it was a way back in that wasn't, I have to be who I was before he wanted me to come down and just do some relays with some master swimmers at a super chill meet at our old university of Texas pool and swim like a 50 freestyle, hundred freestyle and a 200 freestyle, like not that tough. So then January to April, by the way, this, this is going to keep going because all of this builds on itself. Oh, yeah. January to April, I was like, all right, I'll train a couple times a week. I'll hit the weight room. And then when we get to this meet, I'll shave and taper. It was nice to be shaved again. It's a great feeling in the water. And we did it. I went pretty fast. I was 19.5 on a rolling 50 freestyle, which I hadn't done since I was a sophomore <laughs> in college. And we set four American records for masters for the 25 to 29 age group as relays. And they weren't shoddy. I mean, I think few of them had, you know, whoever put those relays together, put Ryan Lochte on them. So that felt like a big deal. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, okay. Like that's actually maybe I can do this thing in a different way from what I did before. But in my mind, culturally, I was still a coach. And at that point I had already agreed to be um, university of Virginia's volunteer for the 18, 19 season. So fast forward to there, I'm swimming a couple times a week. I'm playing pickup basketball, um, which I would always, that's until March of last year, that was my way of staying in aerobic shape, but we don't have to get into that right now. Um, And Virginia, you know, very intense program coaching staff. That's like super professional with huge goals of winning NCAA uh, team titles one day. So I am in it. I'm in the coaching thing that year. I'm still swimming a couple times a week with a couple friends that I had there, but again, culturally I'm a coach 
and I didn't really have any real goals for the swimming. So through fast forward again <laughs> to about April of 19, um, I had found out that one of my good friends from Texas, uh, named Hayes Johnson, he had set a master's world record in 200 backstroke. And I was like, okay, well, Hayes and I would always race in backstroke back in the day. I feel like I could try to break his record. And I don't think he actually knows this. So this is actually going to be kind of funny. But I was like, I'm going to train to try to break his record in the summer of 19. Still not back in swimming yet. I'm still like hanging back. I'm a coach kind of thing. Yeah. And so I trained with the goal of, I decided to train with the goal of let's break Hayes' record by July of 19 at some, just whatever master's meet I can get to. And what happened was I like, I kind of curled up and went into a shell. I didn't go to practice frequently for a couple of weeks. And I got super into the basketball and almost like put swimming out of my mind. And what had happened was I was falling back into my old self, that old self that had retired and was a 200 or 200 backstroker and had gotten to this level. So what had happened was I put should on myself and I put expectations that were external on myself again. And it wasn't a feeling I'd liked. It wasn't a feeling I had felt in a couple of years. So that summer I was like, you know what? I'm not a 200 backstroker anymore. I want to sprint. I just spent a year learning from Todd DeSorbo and the university of Virginia sprint program, which as you know, from practicing pancakes and talking to, uh, Todd about that, Andrew Sheaf, who's a genius, Wes Fultz, all these people who are amazing sprint coaches. Let's take this knowledge and let's be a sprinter. And that took me back to Hopkins. I moved back to Baltimore after the 18, 19 season volunteering with Virginia and September of 19, I started training like regularly. I'd go to uh, a long course workout at my old club pool where I grew up swimming NBAC Meadowbrook once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd swim twice a week at the Hopkins pool and I'd lift twice a week in the Hopkins weight room. Still not culturally back as a swimmer yet. It was more, I would tell people it was a hobby, which that again, that allowed me to hide. That allowed me to say like hide from, oh, what, what? you're still swimming? Like what? I could get out of it with the excuse of, right. Like the LinkedIn headline was still, I'm a coach. I'm a Johns Hopkins university coach. And that way I didn't have to go into the whole explanation I would have back in the day of like, yeah, I'm a pro swimmer. What does that mean? Uh, you know, it means I'm swimming outside of college. There's not really pro teams. Oh, cool. All right. See ya. (laughs) So, but I had something to look forward to. Um, Hopkins goes every once in a while. Um, Hopkins goes to the big Al invite at Princeton and they were allowing time trials the day after the meet because the Olympic trial cuts had come out by 2019 and um, people wanted, you know, people at this meet wanted to qualify Princeton and university of Denver and Hopkins and all these other programs that didn't get a ton of long course meets throughout the year um, would go to, you know, we're coming to this meet. They need an opportunity to some long course. And this was for, so this was going to be in late November, early December. And Scott, our head coach, I was back working with Scott, um, which has just been an incredible experience. He was like, Hey, you want to, you want to swim on Sunday in that long course time trial? I said, sure, let's do a 50 and a hundred. So September through November, I got into a training routine that I mentioned and I went to this meet and I went 22, not 22, eight in the 50 free. It was my first 2020 trial cut. Um, it was the first time I'd ever gone a trial cut in the 50 and then, uh, kind of a show of how much training I had done at that point. I think it was about 
20, 30 minutes later, I went 51, one in the hundred, the hundred hurt very much, <laughs> but it still was like, Oh, you know, it's a 50 free. Like, I don't know. It's a hobby. I still yeah. was telling people that I was still hiding and to kind of, I know this is getting to a long story. So I'll fast forward. I trained to get the hundred cut in March. Um, and as we know, a lot happened in March, everything shut down last year. This is now 2020, the kids lost their NCAAs and that's far more important, but I was also two weeks out of going to a sectionals meet where I was going to get the hundred cut. And I, it took about a month. I mean, it took a lot of people, a lot of time to kind of wrap their heads around whatever it was that had been pulled from them. My wife and I are very lucky that we are just in a very safe situation where we are. And she was able to seamlessly start working from home. But anyway, it's still depressing to be like, man, I had put six months of work, six months of work into trying to get this trial cut. And now I don't even know when I'm going to get an opportunity to do it. So that summer, and now that we're talking about last summer, I stayed in shape. And finally, I think it took me to a point of, let's see. I started a podcast and that that's not, that's not a, um, like a plug or anything, but it was the first time. We do need time. to plug that though. We will, we will. But it's important to the storytelling that yeah. this, this past summer, I got to a point where I was like, I'm tired of hiding from myself. The heart, the real reality was I had missed the heck out of being a pro swimmer. What I was missing was I just didn't like doing the training for a 200 IM anymore and 200 back. I mean, I got my butt kicked again by the super intense aerobic training for three years out of college. And the, what I wanted back was my identity as a pro swimmer. What I didn't want back was the training. And the important thing for me to understand, and a lot of people had this experience of like very internal soul searching was I just didn't care anymore that I had to explain to people what it was to be a pro swimmer and what it meant for me. And so when I really was culturally fully back into this thing was when the U S open was announced in November, I think it was sometime maybe in like September, October, you know, I forget the timeline. And I was like, I'm going to get the hundred at that meet. I'm going to be, I am back as a professional swimmer and we're going to do this thing for real. No more um, half-assing this thing anymore. Now I can still be a coach and I still very much cherish the opportunity to coach Johns Hopkins university, but that doesn't preclude me from also saying that I'm a professional swimmer. And so that's the long winded path back. I hope there's something in there for people to learn from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a great story. And I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate hearing the whole chronicle because I think it is a process. I mean, like you said, you, you do fitter and faster clinics. That's where you met my brother, Wyatt. He's had, mm -hmm. you know, a similar path of like, well, I don't really want to be done with swimming, but I don't know how to incorporate it into my life while also, you know, pursuing a career or doing something else and having to tell people, well, yeah, I, I still do swim, but it's not, it's not the norm or it doesn't look like what everyone else's concept or idea of a pro athlete or being a swimmer is. And so, I think, mm -hmm. I think we're seeing more and more people find their own path and mm -hmm. through swimming and be able to still do it and do it in a way that works for them, works for their career, uh, mm. and still love it, which, which is awesome. 
I think um, it's almost taboo to say this, but I try to find silver lining and opportunity in any situation. And I, it seems like a lot of people used the last 10 months as long as their situation was relatively secure um, to do some internal soul searching and to really discover new things about themselves uh, inside in deep in themselves and to also be okay with those things about themselves. Um, you know, I was, I, I think I almost use coaching as a way to like, it's a really, it's a really weird thing to try to describe, but I was basically like inching back towards it while also not having to say to myself that I miss swimming, I guess. And the podcast pro corner, I, I, I forgot why I brought it up. I should explain. I called the podcast pro corner because I'm obsessed with what it means to be a professional because swimming, it was so vague for so many years. So even like pieces of media I put out in the world is a reflection of that internal confusion about what it means. And I think I finally have come to grips with it and um, not come to peace with it, but have confidence in it over the last couple months. And that's why I can culturally say that I'm back as a swimmer. And it, I think your brother is a great example of you can do it. You can do it well. And you can also have a life outside of it where you're successfully moving through the world and moving through a career. I mean, he's uh, a successful engineer at this point, you know? So I just think it's out there. Nothing that I'm doing is something that other people can't do. And I'm not talking about like the times or how far I may get, but just the, the strides you can make and the things you can do with, you know, the free time that you have. Um, yeah. I think that's super important. Yeah. And with that, I want to get into the specifics of just, you know, if you're someone out there who relates to this, who, you know, your swimming career is over and you're like, well, what do I do now? And you maybe want to get into swimming. It's like, I'm, I'm guessing you probably don't put, super long hours into this, right? Like you said, you manage mm -hmm. your time kind of wisely and you, you take the free time that you do have and you make the best of it. So tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about just your day to day, what a normal week looks like for you and how much time you actually are putting into swimming. Sure. Um, I think just to kind of give a full picture again, it's just cause the pandemic just was such a seismic shift for a lot of people's day to day routine. I got to kind of take us back to, September of 19, when I first moved back to Baltimore from Virginia and I was, I'm basically start and basically started the path that I'm on now. I should point out, I've moved every year for the last decade up until September of 19. So that is the first time that this training line that I'm on starts. So peak training, which was September of 19 through March of 20, when everything got shut down, I would do a long course workout once a week. Um, with my training partner, Tony Calillo, who is more of a spiritual training partner. Cause again, cause of the pandemic and we both have work schedules, it's hard to meet up all the time, but Tony and I would meet up at Meadowbrook once a week and basically just do a variation of the same set. Are we getting into sets or is that, is that yeah. what we're doing? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, but it, it's simple. It was a set of 12 or 1650s where every fourth we descend one to four freestyle and are training the second 50 of the 100 freestyle. And that's it. Two practices a week. I hop in our well that we have at Hopkins. And that is to do 
just a f- both of those days is 45 minutes of just racks, power rack work and uh, Destro tower work with the, the, the buckets and then also some starts. So each of those workouts, I mean, two of them, you can't even count the yardage. I, mm-hmm. cause it's 10 meter sprints on the racks. If you really wanted to add them up, I guess you can. And 15 meter sprints <laughs> on the buckets. And then the, the workout that we do at Meadowbrook, maybe 1500, maybe 2000 at most. And then I would do weights twice a week. Uh, super focused with that. It's what are three or four exercises that again, I can do in 30 to 40 minutes and then get out of the weight room and get back to my day. I really don't like doing two to three hour things that a lot of people like where I'm in there doing 10 different exercises and doing circuits. I like to keep things simple and focused and doing them in 30 to 40 minute chunks. That's about the extent of my attention span with this stuff for aerobic. And again, this is all through March. I would play pickup basketball once a week. And that was super important for two reasons. Number one, 45 minutes. Um, it's aerobic. It's mixture of sprinting and distance running. If we're getting up and down the court, or if I'm sprinting over to say guard a corner three, um, it's also a way to get out my competitive Jones, because when you coach yourself and when you basically swim slow, so Tony and I don't really race each other. We tend to share a lane and we'll go. So we'll go one and then two. I don't really have a whole lot of competitive outlets in swimming anymore. It's all based on, it's all based internally on performance. So I would, I would get my, my competitive Jones, like I said, out on basketball. So that's how I was training through March pandemic hits. I take about a month to kind of just go off into the, into the wilderness with training, if you will, and just not really do anything, kind of take some time to refocus, figure out what I want to do this summer. I'm lucky enough that I had access to, um, an outdoor backyard pool. It was about 18, 20 yards, no lane lines. Um, I would go there once a week honestly swim just like 10 to 15 laps. I had no motivation to swim and I knew I just needed to keep feel for the water intact. I stayed in shape, um, April through about September, October, um, with a group of friends that I have here in Baltimore that live in the same neighborhood as my wife and I, and we were doing our own little variation on Murph Mondays, which I'm not like a CrossFit guy. Um, if you are, you know, that's awesome. I, I just, and personally am not, it's never spoken to me, but it's a CrossFit phenomenon that popped out where you do a mile run, um, hundred pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then run a mile. And these guys were all in way better shape than me. Uh, a couple of them were college soccer players. One was a high school football player and they are all in amazing shape because they work out all the time. It's a great, great group of friends, a lot of athletes. And I started doing it with them and they would kick my butt again, replacing with the basketball, I could get my competitive Jones out, um, by trying to get my time lower and lower and lower to try and beat them. So that was amazing aerobic training. And guess what? It takes 45 minutes. <laughs> um, so that's how I kept in shape throughout the summer. Uh, weights were sporadic. Didn't, you know, it's really hard to get motivated to go to a weight room. That's 20 minutes away. It was really easy to do it at Hopkins where my office was here and the weight room was there. I like things easy. I'm not going to lie to you, (laughs) but, um, September, I got access to Meadowbrook back Meadowbrook opened back up our, the long course pool I train at. 
and I would say since then it's been either once a week or twice a week. Um, I got back to doing my back half of the hundred swims that I do once a week and then a little bit more front end sprinting specific stuff another day. But a lot of the days of the week I was doing, or a lot of weeks I would only get in one or two. The important thing I added in the fall that I think was a new stimulus was doing Pilates. And it was something that I had done in the 14, 15 season back when I was a pro, but I now do it again. I do it at a place uh, called mind body here in Baltimore and a woman named Wendy Keat has always been a, fa- a friend, family friend of my family's for a long time. It was actually a swimmer um, back in her day and she still swims masters. So she kind of knows Pilates swimming. How can the two come together? And Pilates has been super important. I did it through the November meet where I got my hundred trial cut. And that was a really big deal. Cause I thought I had lost it honestly for good in March, the opportunity to get it. And then, like I said, I actually kept tapering from November to January, <laughs> but I kept up the Pilates. That was the one thing where I was actually pushing up in a training cycle. So now today when we're recording is Wednesday, the 20th. Going back yep. to, to going back to work. And that's important because Monday, January 25th, I'm going to be back to my old schedule twice a week at Hopkins doing racks and towers. Um, I've worked in a lot of vertical kick that I'm going to now add to that routine that I used to have. And then long course once a week at Meadowbrook training the back half of that, that all important back half of the hundred freestyle still not getting basketball back though. And that makes me a little sad. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, for training, certainly that is sad. No basketball. God, that sounds fun. Well, we don't play swimming, you know, although I do try my best to have a play mindset when I train. And I think that's actually a big part of the strides, the strides that I made is most days when I go to the pool, it's almost like a choose your own adventure where it's like, what do I want to do today? I never want to practice from the headspace of should anymore, ever, ever again. It's like a big thesis that I have of go to the pool, do what you want. And I've been doing that since again, since September of 19. And the training plan that I have now is basically grown organically out of it. And it's because I give myself space to play like, oh, why don't I try out this in vertical kick today? Why don't I try out, you know, something stupid, like wearing paddles while I'm doing butterfly kick on my back with fins on like, what, why would you wear paddles? But, but I give myself space to have that play. And Mm -hmm. that's the, honestly, the closest that I found that we can get in swimming can't play swimming, but you can give yourself space to play. And I think that is super, super, super important, especially if you're doing it after your structured, you know, high school, college pro swimming career, where you're doing it on your own in your free time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've lost, certainly in these last 10 months, we've lost a lot of those outlets of play and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a lot of people have probably gained some too, because they've had to get creative and say, okay, I can't do, I can't go play basketball. Like what can I do to stay in shape, but I actually still enjoy myself or still give myself a competitive Jones or give myself, you know, an outlet to, to get my head right. you know, something like that. And so I think that's a great mindset to have of just, Hey, we gotta, we gotta let ourselves play a little bit, especially in the pool. Um, but you can't close nature. So if you can get to an outdoor pool or a body of water, go play in that every once in a while. Dude, no kidding. I swim. I, I tell everyone I can swimming outside is like 
non-swimmers might not understand it, but like swimming outside it's, I don't think you get better than that just in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually, if you're cool with me taking this topic, um, that's actually something that, again, I've gotten super into, it seems like a lot, I've changed a lot over the last year and a half or so, but anytime my wife and I get to t- take a trip or if I'm taking a trip somewhere, um, I try to find a natural body of water to swim in outside. doesn't matter how cold it is, how warm it is. Um, I, I feel like that I've really gotten the love for swimming back when I've really gotten to know the water, excuse me, from a more primal space of like, I'm just a a person just splashing around and having fun in say a lake in Colorado. You know, I'm not worried about my 200 IM time or scoring points for Texas or finaling at Olympic trials or making other people proud. I'm just splashing around in a lake. And that's a really, really, really good way to reset a love for the sport is go way back to a love for the water. I want, did, I should, did you enjoy that? I think, <laughs> I think we should just cut. That's, that's a wrap. Um, <laughs> I did. That's great. I think that's a great, great mindset to have. What I'm not going to cut, but I think that's a great place to, to close out. Um, moving forward, we're going to have to bring you back on because uh, you know, if, if you're racing again, this, this is a great story to follow. I think you're probably inspiring a lot of people. My favorite was, <laughs> you you posted something on your Instagram story uh, about being a fast 30 year old. And you're like, take that other 30 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved that. I loved the shout out on some slam. And I thought it was like, I guess I'm getting a peek into like, you know, the world of getting clicks and like what people are interested in. I get it. Like people are interested in the fact that I'm 30. I just, in my mind, I'm just me from when I was, you know, 23. Obviously I've changed, I've changed a ton, but it's weird. I think I actually, (laughs) I think I actually left this in the comment section. I I enjoy uh, spritzing some comments in every once in a while, but it was like, oh yeah, it really is weird to read 30 year old Austin Suroff. Cause like, I know I'm 30. I got it. It's like, it's yeah. fine, but it's really, it's, it's really like just, Oh yeah. I'm, I guess I'm like officially in the world 30 years old. So it's, it was fun to play with that on swim swam, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep swimming. Um, you keep doing these cold plunges. I gotta tell you 20 minutes in the James river at 40 degrees, which is colder than most ice baths. That was better than the ice bass that I get access to at most meets when we don't have to social distance. So going to keep jumping in outside, going to keep doing my, uh, my crazy breathing and hopefully keep getting faster. But I hope, I mean, I hope people find inspiration not because like in a selfish way, but again, it's because all of this stuff is super accessible and I am not someone who's a grinder. Okay. I know we're trying to wrap, but I really want to get this across I'm doing this from a space of someone that doesn't want to grind. Okay. I worked hard enough that I, you know, I was an NCAA champion in two AM. I was fourth at the Olympic trials. I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I set a Texas team record in the 400 AM. I was good at events that required hard work and I worked hard, but I always knew that I was about maybe like 85, 90% the grinder that other people were, you know, I didn't live to bust my ass and get yardage. I always knew that about myself. 
So I now live that 100% with what I do now is what can I do that takes 40 minutes or less that I can do within the space of the week that I have. Cause again, I'm like you said, I'm like, like swim, swim said, I'm 30. I've got a wife and a dog. I've got to pay rent. So I've got other things going on. I have a responsibility to the kids at Hopkins to be a good coach to them and, you know, do recruiting, which takes a ton of office hours. I do stuff that I make easy for myself that just requires knowledge, mental commitment, and just, just, caring just a little bit more about stuff that isn't hard to do but does take a little bit of focus so when you shift things around that way it really easy is not the right word but it makes what i'm doing a lot more accessible and so i hope that's what people can draw from it you don't you don't have to dedicate 20 hours your week to swimming to maybe get some things you want from it. I'm not saying get to my level or someone else's level, but just get what you want from it in the next phase of your life. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.